0: Welcome to the 436th episode of Admission Straight Talk. Thanks for joining me. I'm actually taking a week off for family time this week. As a result, I decided to air an encore of one of our most popular shows of 2021 so far. And that show is what life at ICON is like as a med student, parent, and more. I chose it not only because of its popularity, but because it's a fascinating exploration of how a non-traditional student navigates parenthood and medical school. If you like this episode and want to test out whether you are competitive at your target medical schools, take Accepted's free medical school admissions quiz at accepted.com medquiz, M-E-D-Q-U-I-Z. It's a brief assessment that will give you insight into your competitiveness, as well as suggestions for improving your qualifications and competitiveness. Take it today at accepted.com medquiz. Again, that's M-E-D-Q-U-I-Z. Thanks, as always, for listening to Admission Straight Talk. I'll talk to you again next week. In the meantime, here is what life at ICON is like as a med student, parent, and more.
1: Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Acceptance founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, Yes, I'm in! Confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams.
0: Our guest today is Efrat Brooke. She is an M4 at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. Efrat is a non traditional medical school student who began medical school when she was already a mom and after a successful career as a teacher. Let's hear her story. Efrat, welcome to Admission Straight Talk. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell us a bit about your
1: background outside of medicine? Where did you grow up? What do you you like to do for fun? Sure. Um, So hi everyone, my name is Efrat. Um, As Linda said, I'm a fourth year medical student at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Um, So I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, In the neighborhood of Borough Park. Uh, My parents uh, immigrated to the US about one year before I was born to seek medical treatment for one of my older brothers uh, who has congenital kidney failure. Uh, And much of our childhood kind of revolved um, around his medical situation. I think by the time I was in high school, he had three kidney transplants. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So um, my dad is a rabbi and a teacher in the community. Uh, My mom uh, was mostly a stay-at-home mom, but also taught intermittently. So I come from a a family of teachers. Um, I'm one of 10 children. I have seven brothers and two sisters (laughs) Um, and I am seventh. uh, So part of the uh, younger crew. Um, And um, after high school, you know, the, the expectation was sort of to get out there in the real world and become financially independent. So, I went to a one year program that trained me to be a teacher, um, and then I got a job as a high school teacher. Uh, So, at the age of, I think I was 18 at the time, um, I started teaching high school and started what would be um, an almost decade long career in education that I really, really enjoyed. Um, In my last year of college, I started working at uh, Columbia University Medical Center in a research lab uh, in nephrology. Um, I had a, a really uh, like a personal kind of connection to nephrology because of my brother. Um, and I think my work at the lab was the springboard that eventually led me to go to medical school. So you you
0: mentioned you got the teacher training and you started a almost decades long career as a, as a teacher. When did you go to Columbia?
1: So so to backtrack, Columbia okay. was, was a, yeah. So um, I went to college uh, a few years after high school. I wanna say maybe three years into teaching. I went to Tarot College um, in Brooklyn, New York. And then in my last semester of college, as part of one of the honors projects, um, I started working at a lab at Columbia, um, a lab in nephrology. The principal investigator was Dr. Jonathan Barrage. um, And that was, as I said, the springboard for applying to medical school. Okay. All right. Great. So now you mentioned that
0: because of your brother's situation, you were kind of drawn to nephrology. Did you... I mean, when you when you went back to college, were you thinking of moving, getting more of an education-oriented degree, and staying in that field? And only when you did this did you decide to make the switch. Is that is that how it worked?
1: So um, I guess I'll I'll kind of backtrack a little. Um, I really always wanted to be a doctor from a pretty young age. Uh, I love the sciences. Um, I think all of us when we sort of look back at our school years, you know, there were some classes that felt like a burden and some classes that maybe felt a little more natural or, you know, you kind of look forward to it. Um, So that's how I felt about the sciences. I always just look forward to those classes and I I didn't didn't feel that burden of studying, at least when I was a kid, it gets kind of burdensome later on. Um, But as a kid, I really loved it. And I was just fascinated by this, you know, link between science and medicine. Like I knew science existed and then somehow this translated into medicine, which I knew kept my brother alive all those years. Um, so I was really fascinated from a young age. Um, but as I said, you know, it just wasn't really on the radar for me right after high school um, to go to college. Um, so when I did go to college, um, it wasn't like I thought I'm going to go to medical school, but it was in the back of my mind. So I, I just like naturally kind of slid into the pre-med track. Um, I, I considered doing a degree in education briefly, but, um, you know, I ultimately I chose to do my pre-med track.
0: Okay. What was the hardest part of the med school application process for you?
1: Um, I think I'm going to say the MCAT.
0: Okay. <laughs> because a it nice probably is for answer, many yeah. people.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, I think it's the MCAT, but not just the MCAT. I guess it's also that I was doing so many things at the time. Um, I had like two what? jobs. Yeah. So I, I was teaching and then I started working, you know, the lab started off as like a volunteer thing, but then turned into a job. Um, And at that time, I had also gotten married and moved, you know, to a new, not a new city, but a new borough in New York City, which, you know, for people from New York, you know, that's like moving to another planet. I mean, I had to take a car to the grocery store. (laughs) So so there was a lot of adjusting. Um, And then to throw it all in, like I I started, you know, opening up MCAT books and realized, you know, this is not, um, this is not a test you could just like study for in a month or two. You really, really have to put a lot of effort. Um, And I was like a year away from college already. So I think the MCAT was the hardest part um, and all the stuff I was juggling. And uh, the solution was to take a good hard look at everything and um, kind of make decisions. And um, I, I did, you know, ultimately leave my job as a high school teacher. It was, it was a really tough decision, but um, it was the only way to kind of, you know, go on to my new path.
0: All right. So you prioritize basically.
1: Yes. Yes. All right. And did you do self-study or a course or some combination? So, um I started off um, studying by myself to just like test the waters. I had some books um, and there were some topics that I was like strong in. When I say strong, I mean like you can open up, you know, test questions and get, let's say, half of them right, you know. Um, And there were some subjects that I was really weak in for some reason. Um, So I, I, you know, ramped up my studying, gave myself, I don't remember, maybe it was like six months of part time study and then did some practice tests but I wasn't happy with uh, my scores. So I actually delayed my MCAT, did like another round of studying, a full three months of dedicated. I actually used the Princeton Review. I took an actual course. Um, and then, you know, my practice scores climbed up and I was happy in the end with the result, but it did it did push my application cycle off by an entire year, you know, just mm-hmm. getting the MCAT out of the way, <laughs> um, you know. But I think in retrospect, it was the right decision because um, it's always better to take a little more time and come in more confident. And, and to come in with a better MCAT score. Yes. You don't want to one, do that. test. One better MCAT
0: score. No, you're, you're definitely, that was, if you asked me, that's what I would have told you to do. Okay. <laughs> what do you see as the benefits of your background in teaching and education going in, into medicine? I mean, I think a lot of times, non-traditional applicants, that kind of think, oh, I didn't, you know, I don't have clinical exposure. What's the relevance of what I've done in the past? So what is the relevance to, as you see it, of your teaching
1: Yes, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question um because i think i think this question is like a really you know a springwood for a really rich discussion um so i mean i'm going to say this about many jobs not just teaching but having a job before medical school <coughs> excuse me um there's so much you can you can learn um from so many of these jobs that are absolutely transferable to, to medicine um so to speak about teaching a little bit um when, when you're a teacher you know you're you're told to teach a certain subject and you're You're given this like you know load of information to kind of sift through and you have to decide like what am i going to teach and what do you focus on when you review and what do you ask on a test and you really learn to zoom in on the important information and this is so important for medical school i mean every medical student i'm sure will agree with me you're you're flooded with information in my opinion this is a flow in medical education but that's a discussion for another time and you just you don't know what to do with it you're like you know what's important. What do I need to know for the test? How do I how do I process this information and memorize such a large volume of knowledge in such a short amount of time? So I think teaching really really helped me with that. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I would say is is that um, definitely with teaching, but I'm, I'm sure this applies in other jobs as well. Um, you have to learn to deal with lots of different types of people. Um, so the school that I taught in, for example, were lots of immigrants, um, people from all different countries. So you're, you're dealing with students, in my case, you know, adolescents in Brooklyn, not always so easy. <laughs> um, you're, you're dealing with coworkers, you're dealing with principals, administrators, and then you're dealing with parents, you know, which is a whole other beast. So you really, you know, hone in on your people skills, communication skills, um, things like that, which are extremely important for medicine. Because if you're going to be a doctor, you're going to deal with people from all walks of life, you know, different from you culturally, religion, politically, whatever it is. Um, and you have to know how to you know, see eye to eye with, with people who are different than you.
0: One of the things I thought you were going to say in response to this question,
1: <laughs> and you could tell me if I'm right or wrong in
0: that, I thought I thought your answer was great. But this is what I thought, one of the things I thought you would raise, is that physicians are frequently teaching.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it was like kind of on my list. <laughs> I was going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't want to go on for too long. Um, so, yeah, medical education is Is built you know in this way you have this pyramid uh, right with you know medical students at the bottom you know first second third fourth year interns residents attendings and it's really the responsibility of each tier to teach the level below them um and um, and patients exactly patients too (laughs) that's a very important one (laughs) thanks for bringing that up um but yeah even even if you're not interested in medical education in the in a formal sense like i am you have to teach if you're if you're a doctor, you know, medical training, teaching patients. Um, and I will say that um, on my medicine rotation, for example, in the third year, the person I learned the most from was, you know, the fourth year medical student right above me. Sometimes it's easier to, to learn from people who are closer, you know, and they're training okay. to you. Okay. Um, but that is absolutely true. And, you know, I've definitely gotten feedback on rotations that I, I did a good job teaching. Um, and I think it's just because of my background.
0: Right. Okay, great. And I, I, by the way, I really liked your answer. I was just wondering, what about that one? Uh, What do you, what have you liked so far? I understand you're kind of towards the end of your medical medical education, but what have you liked the most about Mount Sinai's Icon School of Medicine? The, you know, pre-COVID, let's talk about pre-COVID,
1: okay? Yeah. Wow. So (laughs) I could probably spend an hour talking to you about you know, the amazing things at Sinai. Um, but I do look at a couple of, I guess, key points that I that I want to mention. Um, the first and probably mo- most obvious thing is, you know, it's a world-renowned institution, um, and they really, really live up to their reputation. Um, and, you know, when I, when I look back at uh, my undergraduate years in high school and I reflect, um, and I think all of us kind of probably feel the same way, you know, there are lots of things we do in school that, like, I don't know if are so necessary, you know, homeworks and assignments and Sometimes you wonder, do I really need this? I mean, do I really need to know where every last electron goes in this reaction for organic chemistry? And, you know, we question, we question these things. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of it is not perfectly relevant to what we do. Um, but at Sinai, you know, the education we get is so carefully crafted. Um, every homework assignment, every write-up, every lecture is really one step, you know, another step for you to become a great doctor. I can honestly say that there wasn't a single time in my education where I thought to myself, wow, what a waste of time. Um, even things that are not necessarily relevant to the field that I'm entering, you know, as a doctor, you need to have a broad foundation for lots of areas. Um, so I feel like um, the education is just superb. And it's a little hard sometimes to see it when you're amongst your classmates because, you know, they're all getting the same education. But when you start to venture out and different sites and you're around other students, I think that the Sinai students really stand out um, in the remarkable education that they get. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, if you have more, I don't. I don't mean to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I have a. You know, I, I think other than just you know, training us to be great doctors, um, I think at Sinai they really try to um, support you in your unique journey, whatever that is. You know. So for me, that was I wanted to raise a family while doing medical school. Uh, for my classmates, it's other things. I have a classmate who's a playwright. There are people involved with startups. There are people involved in all sorts of things where you know your, your time is spent not just in medicine. And I feel like at Sinai, they really, really try to understand you um, and support you on your unique journey. So that's another uh, fantastic thing about Sinai. Um, And I'll say that, you know, the way they do this is, um, you know, they have, of course, expectations of us, of, you know, what kind of students they want us to be, what kind of doctors, but, you know, it kind of goes both ways um, in that we sort of expect them to take our feedback very seriously. Um, and that's something that's also great at Sinai. They take student feedback extremely, extremely seriously. Um, you know, like every other institution, we evaluate our classes, every lecture, every professor, um, and change is implemented very swiftly. You know, it's the evaluations don't just land up in some desk and like stay there and I don't know what happened to it. Um, they're taken very seriously. And I've seen, you know, changes implemented Definitely from one year to the next, but even one semester, or one month to the next, based on students' feedback. Um, so I think that's you know how they do it. They really take their students seriously.
0: That's great. Thank you.
1: What could be improved? <laughs> uh, what can be improved? Every place has something that yes, can be improved. Yes. Um, so I think one thing that can be improved. Um, I guess I'll give some background for, for those of you who are not yet in medical school, but you know, in your third year, which I think is the most you know intense year of medical school. Um, you have clerkships, uh, which means that you're you're kind of on a clinical site, you're in the hospital setting, um, sometimes at your own campus, but sometimes, you know, you're sent out to other kind of sister campuses. Um, and, you know, Sinai has its goals and objectives, you know, for their students and what they want us to accomplish. And sometimes, you know, at the various sites that the, whether it's the residents or attendings or people at that site aren't necessarily that familiar or you know, don't understand those goals as well. And and sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of a mismatch between the goals of the school and, and the people at the site. So I think, you know, maybe some communication between the school and those various sites so that everybody's on the same page as far as like what the goals are um, for medical students.
0: Okay, that's great. Thank you. Now you became an MCAT video creator for Khan Academy. Why? And do you have any MCAT tips that you'd like to share?
1: <laughs> sure. Um, yes, yeah, so... Khan Academy is, you know, I fell in love with Khan Academy when I was an undergrad um, and I discovered that if I had a hard time with a subject, um, I can just go to Khan Academy and watch videos for free. Um, and the videos were amazing. Um, Sal Khan is just, you know, an outstanding teacher. Right. Um, and then I found myself not using it just to learn for myself, but using it as a tool to improve my own teaching. Um, and I use it a lot in studying for the MCAT. This is before they even had their MCAT platform or maybe it was like very new. Um, And after I took my MCAT, I just had like this free space. Remember, I I mentioned that I I pushed my application off by a year. So I took the MCAT like in January and then kind of sitting around till the summer and I already left teaching. um, And I read about this competition that Khan Academy launched with um, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the AMC, where they wanted to build, you know, an MCAT platform, which I thought was a brilliant idea. um, Because, you know, as as you all know, I mean, like courses in MCAT prep is like prohibitively expensive. (laughs) Um, um, And everything would be for free. So I felt like this would be a great way to get involved, Um, give back to Khan Academy, just because it helped me so much. Um, And, you know, help level out the playing field for, you know, people who are uh, at a more financial disadvantage, which at certain points in my life was definitely the case. So I kind of understand what that what that's about. Um, So I just, you know, enter this competition. um, And I was chosen as one of the winners. Uh, We got a paid trip to San Francisco, which was really nice. Uh, We were trained um, the training was led by Rishi Desai, who was the chief medical officer at Khan Academy. Sure. I think he is the chief medical officer at Osmosis right now, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, I actually interviewed him a few years ago. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he yeah. he trained us. Um, yeah. And then a couple of us were then hired by Khan Academy to make the videos. Um, and like I said, I, I have the time. It was in between, you know, different things going on. So. Um, that's how that happened, right? Um, and you were kind of synthesizing your your medical yes. background and your sciences. Yes, I still remember that the video I submitted uh, was about the kidney. Um, honestly, I, I I don't think I could like give you that lecture. Like I don't remember anything. I just well, it was I about the kid- it anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was about the kidney because that's like what I knew at the time. I knew about the kidney yeah. because of my brother and my research. Um, but yeah, it was it was really a synthesis of my career with now like you know, launching my new path in medicine.
0: Yep. Very nice. Okay. Now you are currently the president of Mount Sinai Parents. Oh,
1: sorry. I didn't answer the second part of your question. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> about, Do you have yeah, any MCAT tips? Go that. ahead. By all means. <laughs> yes. Um, MCAT tips. So I think if I could go back, um, I would say I would start studying like in undergrad, like after each course, because there's this like link you have to make between your course material and the MCAT. Like it's not really the same thing. MCAT really requires you to synthesize the knowledge and like apply it to new scenarios. So like, I mean, don't start on your first day of bio, but if you finished a bio course, like do some bio MCAT questions. You finished chemistry, do some chemistry MCAT questions. Do it in a modular way as you go. And I think that'll make your studying later much, much easier. That's um, a great idea. Yeah, and I would say to use Anki. I don't know if you've heard of have you heard of I don't Anki? Know. What is that? Ah, Anki. <laughs> I wish I discovered, I discovered it earlier. What? A-N-K-I. Okay. So, I mean, if I had Anki in in undergrad, boy, my life would be so much easier. (laughs) So what Um, is it? So I'll give like a a really short background to understand what Anki does. So there've been lots of studies done on how people memorize things and remember things. And the the basic bottom line is uh, a concept called spaced repetition, which is that, you know, when you learn a certain fact, there comes a point in time where you, let's say you learn this fact and you know it really well, but then it comes a point in time where you like start to forget it, like your memory drops that point in time is where you should learn it again and then learn it again. And that interval between your learning gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you go. So I don't know if that helped you, but (laughs) what Anki does is it has an algorithm. It's it's a flashcard application. Yes. um, And it has this algorithm where it asks you a question and you tell it if you knew the answer, um, if you didn't know the answer, or you were like in between. And based on your response, it will decide when to shoot that flashcard back at you for optimal memory. So that way, you're not wasting time studying those things that you already know, and you're spending more time studying those things that you don't know. Um, but thrown in there, like it has somehow built into this algorithm, like research-backed, you know, like how much time should be spaced, you know, between learning the facts, right? If it, if, mm-hmm. It's not going to shoot you like the same card every day. Anyway, that, that's like in a nutshell. That there's really it took me like I want to say two three days to really. So does it, is it like an ask it. you
0: a, is it ask you a question and you say I know the answer I don't know the answer or I think I know the answer or, I I the answer, or do you answer the question?
1: So so yes yeah, so like as you answer after you answer the question those options yeah. are on the bottom for you to click
0: because now right. you, so and obviously now you're, it tells you if you were right or wrong.
1: Yeah 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 it tells if you're right or wrong and then you give. You give them feedback and then based on your feedback, it will know when to shoot that card back at you again to review. And it was good? It was accurate? It's so powerful. I mean, I I used it for for one exam. I I didn't do it the right way. Like I didn't even keep up with my reviews and I saw a dramatic improvement, you know, even using Mm. it wrong. (laughs) uh, When I did it correctly, I saw an even better improvement. So I would say if you could learn how to use Anki, now do it um in all likelihood it's, it's really popular now in medical school i mean we have decks for everything so there's a good chance you'll be doing it in medical school anyway so we'll get familiar with it now
0: so does it does it have modules or courses or whatever for undergrad sciences as well so, or mcat prep specifically
1: so if you either make your own cards or yeah. some wonderful people out there in the ether i don't know who they are but there are people out there who you will create a deck and share it with other people oh wow um, you know like there's an, a deck I used to study for one of my board exam, um, the Zanke deck, you know, this person is like educating medical students all across America. I don't know who this person is, but they should get like a Nobel Prize or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I just downloaded it from Reddit and that's how I studied for my board exam. So I'm, I'm sure like Reddit or SDN or, you know, these other platforms, sure. I'm sure people have shared, you know, MCAT decks, yes. you know, or yeah. you can make your own cards. Make, the process of making cards in itself is also really great for memory. Of
0: course. Oh, that's absolutely true yeah
1: yeah all right let's go back to my that was, fun, that was fascinating but let,
0: let's go back to mount sinai now okay i'm going to go back mm-hmm. to the question i started to ask you which was about you're you being the president of mount sinai parents how are you managing med school and parenting i understand you have <laughs> three kids right <laughs> i what have the, two you have two okay two, kids. two two kids what are the biggest challenges and how are you dealing with them
1: <sighs> yeah so uh yeah it's a very <laughs> loaded question <laughs> Can I ask how old your kids are? Sure. So my older one is four. Mm -hmm. Um, She was born between the first and second year of medical school. And then my, (laughs) yes, and then the second one was born in my year 3B. I'll explain what I mean by 3B. She's two. She just turned two now. Okay. So it's a very quiet,
0: peaceful, calm (laughs) stage of life, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, before before I answer your question, I I just (laughs) want to put a disclaimer out there that I always tell people like I don't really recommend it. It's really difficult. Um, you know, if the stars have aligned for you such that you don't have to do both at the same time, I, I think it'll be better for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so I, I just like to put that out there because you know I don't want to sugarcoat it and make it sound like it's a piece of cake. It's really difficult. You know, probably one of the hardest things I've done. So just putting that out there before I answer your question. Okay.
0: Um, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Actually, I think a very good, good, good prelude.
1: Yeah. Um, so the way the way you know I think about it, um, I feel like there there are two components to this. Um, I'll I'll tell you what they are and then I'll address each one. So I think the first component is the you know emotional or mental aspect of you know how do you develop the bandwidth to be able to handle these two really full time endeavors at the same time. You know raising kids is a full time job and going to med school is a full time job. So you know how do you manage it from a psychological standpoint? Um, and then there's you know the practical aspect like. You know, how do you, you can't be at two places at once. So how do you, you know, manage both of these? Um, I'll talk about the first because I think it's a little more important. <laughs> um, so you know, the emotional or mental aspect. Um, I think the first thing is um, you have to have um, you have to have a really good vision of what you want your life to look like in a couple of years down the line, um, and really understand what your goals are because you know that's really the only thing that's going to get you through some of those really difficult times. You know, the, the endless studying. Um, you know, the endless hours of the wars that, you have know, the baby up at night crying and you thinking about what you have to do the next day at like 6 a.m. Um, but if you have a, a really clear vision, you know, of what your goals are and, you know, what your, you know, sort of end point is, um, I think it's a lot easier to pull through. So I think that that would be the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing is, you know, it takes a village, you know, it takes a village to raise kids just as is. Um, if you're going to do it while you're in medical training, you need an even larger village. Um, and you really need a robust um, network, a robust support system that's going to give you that emotional support. Um, and it's going to be different for everyone. I mean, for me, it's it's my husband who's been like, you know, a rock throughout, throughout this entire medical training. Um, my parents, my in-laws, and my siblings. Um, for someone else, it might look a little different. Whatever it is, you need a really strong support network because you can't do it by yourself. <laughs> um so, yeah, I think I think that addresses the first part, you know, the, the mental or psychological aspect. Um, and then the second part, you know, practically, you know, if people are looking for just, OK, how do you do the day to day? I would say, you know, if you're a parent in medical training, you need like multiple layers of child care. It's not enough to just have, you know, one thing. So I'm, I'm sure with some jobs, you, know, you send your kids to school and they come home and it's all good. Uh, but in medicine, you know, you need you need a couple of layers. So for me, for example, you know, we have the daycare, we have a wonderful daycare that's very close to the house that our kids are in during the day. Um, every season we curate a small group of babysitters who are usually local students. Um, I'm kind of choosing my babysitters, so I pick them out and, you know, these are people who I'm really comfortable with, you know, having them around my kids. Um, they help out in the mornings, evenings, weekends, busy times. Um, and then as a third layer, you know, I have my family which don't help out on a day-to-day basis, but they do step up you know, during big times, like, for example, um, during my step two exam, my mother took my kids for 10 days, um, oh, wow. my siblings helped out, you know, that's like, you know, step up when you really need help. Um, that's Your like family's almost a village. Your <laughs> well, they, <almost> a village. <laughs> You know, they, they sort of are a village at this point. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say, you know, that's like a practical, you know, tip. Um, and I will also throw in there that uh, being a parent in medical school really forced me to, you know, will learn like what it is that I need, like in my personal gas tank. And it's very different for everyone. You know, I can't have everything. I'm not gonna get eight hours of sleep every night and three cooked meals and get my exercise. And I mean, it's not gonna happen, but you can you can sort of, you know, zoom in on those things that are really key for you. um, And that's gonna get you through. So for me, it's like sleep, you know, I know there, there are, I have, you know, classmates and friends who can get their five hours of sleep and they're good to go. I, I'm not a person like that. So I really prioritize sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, exercise a few times a week. And then right after that, if you give me 30 minutes a day where I'm not around people, and have time for myself, like I'm good to go. Um, you know, a warm cooked meal every night would be lovely, but it's, it's not one of those things that's really essential for my well-being. Um, so I think for every person, you know, you really need to choose like, you know, this is a rough time in my life, things are busy. What are the key things I need to keep me going?
0: Okay. Sounds like it boils down to prioritizing again. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, raising kids is not easy, period. Medical <laughs> school is not easy. Combine the two. And yeah. uh, I think you know, support support is is critical. It's all yes. there's to it. Now Sinai touts its flexibility or I icon, you know, icon at Sinai touts its flexibility on its website. And it's known for that. Is has uh, the ICANN School at Mount Sinai been helpful to students who are also parents. Was it supportive to you in this regard?
1: Yeah, so I'm glad you asked about that. <laughs> in short, absolutely. Um, I'll address the flexibility part first, and then I'll kind of um, tie that into how it really worked out for me as a parent. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to take a sip of water. If that's sure. Okay. Sure. Um, so, to answer your question, Sinai. Um, absolutely lives up to its reputation as far as flexibility goes so um are you familiar with the FlexMed program sure yeah so um but you I, can I please please describe it because yes. i don't like to this wrong. <laughs> um so i mean i was not a FlexMed. so some of my deep you know i don't know if i have all the details 100 percent down pat but the basic idea is that you can apply to medical school while you're still in college um, you can be any major in fact most flex, flex meds are not science majors um, and, you know, you can get an early, you know, an answer, like an early answer if you're accepted. And the idea is that, you know, we want you to use that time doing other things, um, because, you know, the pre-med grind can be really, you know, in some ways, soul crushing. Um, and we don't necessarily think that that's the only way to become a great doctor. So, you know, we want people to use that time for other endeavors. Um, so that's the idea, the, the flex med, um, do, do they have to say, I'm trying to remember if they have to take the MCAT or not. No. You That's don't right. have to take the MCAT. They do like a, a summer boot camp where you um, they kind of bring you up to par with some of the sciences. Um, and Sinai has published studies comparing the Flex Meds to the traditional medical school applicants, and there are some slight discrepancies in certain areas of performance. But the bottom line is that they do just as well as the traditional students, and in some ways even surpass the traditional students. So it's definitely a program that has you know tremendous success. Um, I think at this point, point, fifty percent of the students in the class are Flex Med. Um, you know, which is different than when I first came in. So um, I think, yeah, there's a lot of success with this program. Um, So I think that's one thing. The other thing is um, we have over the third and fourth year, 28 weeks of elective, which I only recently learned is is a pretty large amount of time. You know, I have friends in other schools who are lucky if they get 10 or 12 weeks. So you have 28 weeks of time where you get to choose how you want to drive your education um, and then pick which courses you want to take and Et cetera. Um, and I think that's that's really great because it helps you you know take ownership over your education um, and not just that, but during first, second and I believe third year as well, um, we have protected time called Flex time, um, which is like a weekly block of time. it can be an afternoon during third year where it's busier it's maybe only once or twice a month. Um, but that's time that's really blocked off for students to do things like shadow, get involved with research, endeavors outside of medicine um, we're where they're telling us you know, be the person you are. You're on this unique journey. Um, you know, here's time for you to just protect the time for you to do your own thing. Um, I have to say that when I was pregnant, I think I used some of that time to nap. But <laughs> you know, that's what you're gonna say, yeah. Um, but um, but you know, that's what you <laughs> it's, needed at that point in time. Yes, <laughs> um, but I think it, it you know just demonstrates um, the priority that they give us as far as autonomy and flexibility goes. Um, another thing I, I would say is you know we take all of our exams kind of on our own time on the weekends in our own space you know exam opens up on Friday closes Sunday and you can pick take the exam whenever you want wherever you want um, which makes it really it makes it really like easy to go away for weekends and be with family Um, you know there are people who like it's 7 p.m on Friday and the exam opened up and they take the exam and they're done with it and they have their weekend free there are people like me who waited till Sunday night till the baby was sleeping (laughs) you know at 9 (laughs) p.m to take the exam you know so Basically, you know, they're, they're they're telling you there are lots of different paths to becoming a great doctor. There are lots of different ways to do things. Um, you know, you, you can choose and take a t- You know, you know, take control of your education in the way that you want. Um, so that's as far as like general uh, flexibility goes. And then, you know, to answer your question about how that ties in with parenting, um, you know, so when people say to me like, "Oh, how did you do it?" Um, you know, I say, you know, the key is time. So what Sana's been doing, uh. Recently, you know, and this, like, I think it's kind of more recent that, that they're doing this, but um, for people with families or even other endeavors that just require a lot of time out of medicine is something called the decelerated year. Have you heard of this before? No. Okay. No. So the decelerated year is you basically take your year of medical school, which for most people is third year because it's the hardest year. Right. Um, and you split it over two years. Oh. Right. Everyone here is like, ah, oh, so smart, right? Mm. <laughs> Um, and that really, um, you know, you're doing it in a proactive manner, right? You know, you're not like showing up and saying like, "Oh, I can't." You're you're, you're planning everything a year in advance, and you're you're setting up your clerkships in a way that you have breaks in the middle um, at times that you need them. So, for example, you know, I I took a decelerated third year, and then I also took a decelerated fourth year. So I was able to take you know a good two months off when my second daughter was born. Um, and you know, there, at times the things were really crazy. There was always like a little break at the end. Um, you know, when I was pregnant and really sick on my surgery rotation, I mean, you know, I was, those are like really long days where you're there at like five or six in the morning, come at eight at night, um, throwing up half the time, you know, on a clerkship like that, because I had that extra time at the end, you know, I was able to kind of, you know, push off my shelf exam, not take it exactly at the end of the clerkship because you know on top of all this clinical stuff you have to study, you know, so it gives you some time, you know, to play around and really afford you that flexibility. So that was really the key to my, to me doing both, you know, being a parent and doing medical
0: school, yeah, that would that would make a big, big, big difference. Yeah. Now you've also <laughs> served as a student on the admissions committee at Mount Sinai. What do you that we're not gonna, we're going to go away from the time to time issues now and doing that in addition to being a parent, but what what do you wish you'd known as an applicant that you now know after having been on the committee? And I don't mean the the secrets you're not allowed to talk. Yeah, about. I mean, <laughs> sure. I, I mean like. What do you wish you'd, you'd known that really understood that would have helped you deal with the application process?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think, and this is something I didn't quite understand then. Um, I think, you know, every school has its own like mission statement, goals, nuances. You know, yeah. schools are different. Absolutely. Um, and you know, when you're applying, you're, you know, it's really, you know, it's a lot of pressure and intensity. All you're thinking about is like, I just want to get into a school and become a doctor. Uh, but but schools are really different and I think it's worth taking the time to investigate those differences um, and kind of tailor your application and, you know, to those differences. Some schools, you know, love research and some schools love global health and some schools it's community service and all sorts of things. Um, and if you can learn, you know, what that school is into, that would really help you and it'll also help you on the interview, which is, of course, an integral part of your application. So sometimes when
0: you reviewed applications, you kind of had the sense that this was this was for Columbia, not for Mount. You know, this was for
1: you know, or the yeah. sense that you know maybe this you know I mean like they copied and pasted. And <laughs> there are people you know, for example, like I have had people tell me you know I really thrive in competitive environments that are really structured, and <laughs> you know I need that pressure. You know I don't know I don't not sure Sinai would be the best place for you. You know Sina is right. it's more about independence right. and autonomy. Um, You know, so talked about the flexibility. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, flexibility is like all over the site. Yeah, I I think it's like the trust, you know, they put in you that they they really trust you to take ownership of your um, education, you know, but at the same time, you know, uh, strive for excellence.
0: Right. No, I think that's excellent (laughs) advice. Thank you. How sure. do you see your career evolving? Are you going to stay
1: in <laughs> nephrology or what do you what um, So do you I'm do? actually applying into anesthesiology. <laughs> to okay. Boring, detour there. All right. I can um, say you like sleep, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that part. Um, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I have a particular interest in medical education um, and I don't know if I know how that will flesh itself out exactly, but I know that I do want to be involved in medical education in some way. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Khan Academy approach, you know, making knowledge available for free in in a very digestible way that appeals to everyone. Um, So I think that's going to be a big part of my career. Um, In addition, of course, to becoming an excellent clinician, I'm a really hands-on person, which is, you know, one of the reasons I chose anesthesiology. Um, So I feel like, you know, being able to master, you know, even technical skills and just being great as a, you know, at what you do is definitely one of my goals. Okay, great um
0: what advice do you have you've given a lot of advice so far but if, you know before before we wind up what advice do you have for applicants aiming for uh you know a 2021 application in other words in other words applying next year or even the year after
1: yeah um so i would say you know take a good look at your application um, and try to separate those things that you can change and those things that you can't. You know, nobody's perfect. Um, Maybe you have seen some science class. It doesn't look good, right? But there's nothing you can do about that. Um, And try to not fret over those things um, and really work on those things that you can improve. You know, if you're not happy with your MCAT score, maybe you can take it again. Um, If you feel like your extracurriculars are falling short, you know, get involved in some research and some shadowing and some clinical things. Um, And really try to boost, um, you know, boost the things you have control over is one thing I would say. And the other thing I would say is, Um, instead of trying to just like check boxes, you know, I mean, you know, shadowing, check, volunteering, check, research, check, um, try to find things that you are really passionate about. um, because, you know, you'll be more authentic about it and it'll, it'll come across better on your application. I mean, we all, you know, have to check things off our, you know, check boxes off in life. It's just part of life, but as much as you can try to find things that you're passionate and driven about, um, because that will, it'll help your application be a lot better.
0: Sure. What would you have liked me to ask you? <laughs>
1: um I think I would have liked you to ask me. I guess if you know, if being a parent, uh if I think being a parent would make me a better doctor. Go for it, and, and how that t- ties in. Go for it. Great question. Um, yeah. Wish so, it. <laughs> um, well, yes, I do think being a parent. I don't know if at every point in time it made me a better student, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like you're. I mean, like, so time becomes a thing when you're a parent, you know. And like, I definitely did, did not have as much time to just spend studying, so it was more about learning how to, you know, hone my studying skills so I can get the same amount done in a short amount of time. But, uh, but as a doctor, I'm absolutely certain that being a parent will make me a better doctor. Um, it's it's amazing, you know, the amount of similarities between these two endeavors. Um, I think they're both things where can you give me an example. <laughs> yes. So there's like a lot of investment up front, you know, both with parenting and <laughs> with medicine <That's> true. <laughs> uh, where, you know, you don't only see your results right away and you have to like believe in your investment, <laughs> you know, when that baby is, you know, keeping you up at night or acting fussy or, you know, not sleeping or, or your toddler's throwing tantrums and. You just don't know what to do with yourself. Um, it's, it's hard to, you know, remember that one day hopefully this will be a, you know, fully grown adult, you know, who will function by themselves. <laughs> um, and I feel like, you know, medicine too. There's, there's a lot of investment up front, um, and and just time that you have to put in and energy. So I think in that regard, it teaches you to really like, you know, stay in the fight. Um, you know, have that grit and make it to the end. <laughs>
0: That's, that's a wonderful perspective.
1: Thank you very much. Efrat, I think we're just about
0: out of time. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your impressive story and squeezing in this interview. I know you're sure. really busy. <laughs> thank you for I think, I, I think a couple of times I heard the kids, but um, <laughs> it's it's fine. We'll link to resources related to this podcast from Accepted.com slash 399. Listener, thank you too for joining Efrat, Brooke, and me for Admission Straight Talk's 399th episode. This is Mission Straight Talk produced by Accepted and i I'm your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week.